Anybody ever read the, 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 the book Treasure Island? Back in the day, I reread it recently. Uh, fabulous. It's the story of young Jim Hawkins who uh, finds and comes across this treasure map by no small amount of, of threat to himself um, that uh, they believe is the hiding location of the buried treasure of the evil Captain Flint, the evil pirate Captain Flint. Turns out that one of their sort of sojourners that they take on this adventure with them is just as evil a guy, Long John Silver. Um, anyway, it's a fantastic tale, and, and it kind of points to this, this, the extremes that people will go to in order to secure uh, financial wealth. I mean, and that story was, was written over 150 years ago, about 150 years ago, uh, in 1881, um, by uh, Robert Louis Stevens, uh, Stevenson, and, and it's still kind of this page-turner. Uh, that you want to, where does this go? Anyway, well, what, what is it that you value? Well, what do you value and what, what, what are you willing to do to actually secure it? Um, what lengths are you prepared to go to? And why is that truly precious to you? Easter Sunday, we began exploring the seven stories that Jesus the storyteller uh, told uh, in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, the parables. Uh, the parable literally means to lay alongside. And so these are biblical truths that these stories lay alongside. And Jesus invites us to learn from that which is there to be learned. And so two Sundays ago, we looked at the, um, at the, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, as it's sometimes referred to. And, and we heard Jesus speaking about these four types of soils and, and this question uh, that comes out of the fact that only a receptive heart is able to actually grow a spiritual harvest. And, and this, this question, what kind of soil are you? What, what kind of soil is your heart? Um, last Sunday we looked at the, the second, third, and fourth parables, the, the parable of the weeds. Uh, Lord, why is there so much evil in our world? And then the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast uh, Lord, why does the gospel seem to be so ineffective? And, and we, we encountered this, this truth that Jesus was calling us to attend to, uh, not to despise small beginnings. Uh, that, that the kingdom of God begins as a small invasive thing, but it, it, it takes over, it moves through the life of those who are good-hearted soil, those who are willing to allow that harvest to grow. Sunday, we're going to wrap up this series. We're looking at kind of the remaining three parables, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price, and the parable of the net. Now, we've been observing as we've been going along, these parables, while you can kind of look at them individually, they're actually all connected together. As Matthew has put them together, Matthew chapter 13, um, they're intended to speak together. And there's kind of one point that they all make, and it's something to relate it to this idea that little things uh, make, make an enormous difference. But the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. seems insignificant, a little tiny seed, but it comes as uh, this pervasive plant in the garden. Um, uh, the yeast, uh, work, a little bit of yeast, can work through an enormous amount of flour and, and have an enormous effect. So as we approach this week, maybe we need to refine that statement to say, well, little things, little things can, uh, can make an eternal difference. Because that ultimately is what Jesus is talking about. Little things can make an eternal difference. But even that, I'm not sure, is quite complete. If you were here last Sunday, you may recall that I, I read a, maybe an extended quote from Dr. Robbie Reeves. And he kind of looks at this whole package of, of, of parables and he says, I think, oh, let me quote him, Jesus was talking about love here. Love turns everything right side up. And then he draws a parallel to each of the, of the, of the parables. 
Love cannot be stopped and never runs out. Love is the most desirable thing on earth. Most people will do anything to get it. Love is wonderful, astonishing, and indescribable. Love is truly a mystery. Jesus was trying to get his disciples to see how God rules his world, a king and his kingdom on earth, but ruling through love. And not just any love, but the love of God revealed in and through the Messiah, Jesus Christ and those who follow him. So if we start, if we start kind of putting all of this together, we begin to realize, well, it's Jesus' love that makes the eternal difference. So here's the bottom line that we're going to kind of explore together this morning. There is nothing, there is nothing of greater value than Jesus' love. There's nothing of greater value than Jesus' love. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Let's follow along as we read. Why don't you stand? They're looking awfully comfortable there. Um, let's stand up. We're looking at Matthew chapter 13. It's not a long reading. Verses 44 down to uh, 52. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Um, if you're looking at it officially, um, this is the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. Uh, when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You understand these things? Yes, they said, we do. And then he added, Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. It's the word of the Lord. It may help us understand it and, and live in this today. You may be seated. There's nothing of greater value than Jesus' love. What are we going to do with it? Um, in these three parables, Jesus declares the coming of the kingdom of heaven to be firstly to be priceless. If you're following along in your sermon notes, uh, these are the, the kind of the points that are there. But determined, he declares the coming of the kingdom of heaven to be priceless. Now, there's many things in our world that get declared, that, that word priceless gets attached to, right? Uh, you know, great works of art, priceless. You know, Van Gogh, Da Vinci, you know, uh, Picasso, Rembrandt, uh, priceless works of art. Um, uh, rare, rare and valuable instruments, uh, violins that were made by Amadi or, or by Stradivarius, enormously valuable uh, instruments, or priceless, irreplaceable. Uh, rare diamonds, rare gemstones, I mean, this, this word gets attached, but, but of course, for most of us, it's, it's, it's about more than just monetary value, something that's priceless, it's, it's got a, a personal connection for us. And, so, so I brought a couple of my kind of treasures with me uh, this morning. Um, this, is, uh, this is a guitar that I bought when I was uh, 13 years old. Um, it's a 1969 Gibson ES340, and, um, and it's kind of a decent sounding guitar. Um, it's a little bit out of tune. Anyway, th this, um, it's got some value, but, but really the value is kind of the idea that, you know, this has been an instrument that's 
traveled with me through my life. Um, uh, anything I've recorded, I've played this instrument on. Um, and and kind of, it, was, it was owned by somebody that I knew who was a fabulous guitar player. I always wanted to be as good a guitar player as he was. Um, and, and so it became, it became priceless to me in, in that sense of the word, not so much just because of it's, it's got some financial value, but because of, of, of what it is. This is my, this is my dad's violin. Um, I don't know if it's still in tune. I haven't played it very much, but... Automatically plays fiddle music, like it's country fish. You know, that, that's just like the way it was. So, so part of the reason that this is, um, is is precious is that his dad bought this for him uh, when he was about nine years old at a um, at, at a auction. Um, had it refurbished. Um, I, I still have a case that's like it, but I don't know if you've ever seen those old wooden violin cases. Like you, you wonder who even Bob is putting it in there. Like it pro pro provides so little protection. But Dad would um, put his violin into that, you know, kind of really crude wooden case, and then get on the family farm all tractor and drive from the family farm into into Wyerton, Ontario, for for violin lessons, fiddle lessons, and then back like. You know, when you're nine or ten years old, you're not allowed to drive a car, but you can drive a tractor on the road. That's fine. And uh, so, you, like, we get these things, and, and so often, I mean, this is not a particularly valuable violin, um, uh, but we, we, we get these connections to things that we say, that, that's precious, that's a treasure to me. Um, and, and, and then we have to kind of even acknowledge how things come to be evaluated or, or, or precious it is, it's, it's random sometimes, and it's often even mysterious. So, for instance, so much of what we spend, mm, boy, a lot of money on, um, in our culture has no retained value, right? Like, it depreciates, like, ridiculously. As soon as you drive that new car off the car lot, it, you know, it's, it's already worth substantially less than it was 50 feet ago, right? You know, that, that smartphone that you're carrying in your pocket that maybe you bought a year ago now is worth like less than half of what it was worth a year ago. Like the retained value of these things that we declare to be precious, that we say have value, seems to be so fleet and passing. And, and so some of you are wise enough to say, look, I, I don't treasure things. I, I don't treasure stuff. I treasure, treasure relationships. And, right, and rightly so. Moms, we love you. Like, thank you. Uh, thank you for what you do. Uh, James Dobson recently published and, and, and said uh, he believed that there was no other vocation that required such extensive knowledge and invasive investment um, than, than the role of motherhood. And I, I know there's, there's difficult stories around it. It's because the relationship is precious that I think at times that there's also deep hurt there, right? You know, when, when disappointment comes, when, when we, I failed you or you failed me, or, you know, it's because we know that there's supposed to be something really precious in that. And, and, and those relationships with our kids, you know, the relationship that we have as, as parents, uh, we, uh, the relationship that you have with a, a really close friend, someone who, who genuinely loves you, we say, these are precious, these are treasures that, that we value. So we kind of come back to these first two parables that Jesus told me. So like, uh, this, is, this is pretty simple. It's pretty easy to understand. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, treasure hidden in the field. 
And, and this kind of thing actually happened in antiquity. Banks were not common. Um, those that were there certainly were, not, were nothing like secure. And so it wasn't uncommon for you to, in a mason jar or some description, uh, 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 bury it in the ground. And, and in fact, archaeologists have found stuff like that, you know, buried coins, uh, even buried jewels and gems. Uh, don't know what happened, don't know what the story was. You know, did the person die and it was forgotten there? Or war came and it was left behind? But, uh, you know, hundreds of years later that it gets excavated. Um, so, so this is a very reasonable story, um, at least at the beginnings of it. And then there's a parallel story that follows. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Um, it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. These two stories are tended to say effectively the same thing. Pearls were to the ancient world what diamonds are to us today. Uh, they were considered precious. And, and in the Middle East, um, you get pearls from the Red Sea. Um, particularly valuable ones came from the Persian Gulf or from India. Um, but, but the real focus here isn't really on the pearl nor on the treasure. It's Jesus' way of talking about something that is absolutely priceless. Uh, something that, that, that has such enormous value, no one could really ever appropriately appraise it. So, so both the farmer in the field and the merchant, Jesus tells us, sold everything they owned and bought it. Anything about that strike you as strange? They sold everything they owned and bought it. Okay, so, so this, this was intended to strike a little bit of what? In, in the first audience, as it should in us, as we read this as well. We say, everything? Like, that's a little impractical, don't you think? Right? I mean, I, I, I enjoy nice instruments, uh, but even if I had the net worth that was necessary to buy a Stradivarius violin, which I don't, um, uh, everything? Like your house, your, like your, all your, like everything? Um, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy nice cars. Um, my, my first car, uh, only truly cool car I ever owned, uh, was a 1969 Camaro, um, a 350 Tonawanda small block. Uh, put a four-barrel Rochester carburetor on it with the, the dual headers and the twin thrush mufflers. It was, it, was, it was a very cool car. Um, at least when I first had it, it was. Um, they, they, they depreciate, uh, I think I've mentioned that. Um, 69 Camaro, 69 Gibson. Um, uh, it would be inappropriate for me to tell you uh, what year my wife was born, um, but there's a theme. Um, it's this theme of God's goodness to me from that, that year. That was a good year. Anyway, I like, I like cool cars, I like sports cars. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell everything I own to buy a Ferrari. You know, like even, again, like even if my net worth was good enough to, to, to acquire it. Um, there's something that was intended to be impractical about this that was to, catch, was to catch the point that this is of supreme value. The, the, beyond compare is this invitation to receive the love of Christ, to experience the love of Christ, and to share in the love that is Christ's, uh, to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, nothing anywhere in all of the earth can compare to this. It is of such supreme, immense value, this relationship. We would say, well, well why, why would that be? Well, for starters, because it's available for a limited time. There, it, let me read it for you, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. 
that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish in crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, now, we know of about 24 species of fish that would be available to be caught in the, in the Sea of Galilee. Um, some of them were unacceptable for consumption. Some of them were just, you know, bony and nothing redemptive in it. Uh, others, from a kosher perspective, so uh, the Jewish Old Testament law spelled out. You, you, for instance, um, uh, acceptable to a Jewish diet were only fish that had scales on them. Um, eels, not okay. Um, shellfish, not okay. Um, so some of it was thrown out, some of it was acceptable, some of it wasn't. Um, but again, this is really kind of besides the point. The point that Jesus is making here is the same point that he made back in the, the, the parable about the weeds and the wheat. Uh, the disciples said, well, how, where do all these weeds come from? Yeah, well, an enemy is sown this. Well, should we tear it up? No, that's just going to mess up the crop. Um, it's going to damage the, the wheat as well as the weeds. Wait until the end of the age, and then at the harvest. It's all going to be gathered in, and the weeds are going to be separated from the wheat. The weeds will be burned, and the wheat can be gathered into uh, the, 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 the barns. And, and the same point is being made here by Jesus, but just using a different metaphor, using this analogy of, of fish. There's good, and there's bad. Um, there's righteous, a.k.a. those who are are. are following God, looking to the law, attempting to live as God has designed their lives to be lived out, and unrighteous, those who really couldn't care less, who are not paying attention to God, his law, how to live right. The righteous, those who live right with God, the unrighteous, those who do not. Uh, the righteous, those who live right with God, have accepted Christ, have turned to Jesus to be saved. And the problem is that when you put all of these parables together, we begin to see that there's two teams. Like, that's it. There's a clear, there's a clear in and the out. There's wheat or there's weeds. There's good fish, there's bad fish. There's good harvest and good hearted soil that receive the good news about Jesus and allow that, nurture that to grow into a harvest of righteousness. There's, there's those of us, those of you, who, who are the flour, who are the dough, that the, 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 the yeast has been worked through thoroughly and it's, it's invasive and it gets into every aspect of your life. Jesus meddles in everything. He's meddling in your marriage. He's meddling in what kind of employer or employee you are. Uh, Jesus has something to say about how you parent. He has something to say about, about, about what kind of neighbor you are, what kind of student you are at school. Every aspect of your life is going to be worked on, it's going to be influenced because the love of God expressed through the kingdom of God has become resident in you and it's bringing change. Your wheat. Or your weeds. Hard-hearted or shallow-hearted, thorn-infested, distracted. The weeds, the unacceptable fish. And Jesus said, their destiny is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus speaking, right? Like this, this is not some bombastic dictator saying, you know, 
we will blast the middle of the fire and power we have. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Like so, so is it loving? Is it loving to fail to give a warning of impending disaster? Certainly not. Certainly not. In his love, he says, disaster will be imminent. Like, that is what is ahead unless you turn to me. This is Jesus who came to overthrow the world, yes, but not with military might. He came to overthrow the world through this invasive tool, this invasive reality of God's presence through love. And it's popular today to talk about the love of God, but what, what typically gets, is meant by that is, is this kind of vague affirmation of whatever you want to do, however you want to live. God is loving. But, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The Apostle John, he records Jesus' words, and he says, look, if you love me, you will obey me. Hard-hearted soil must become good-hearted soil. It must become receptive soil. It must become soil that is open to biblical instruction and desirous that goodness, righteousness would grow up and in and out of us. Weeds must become wheat. Miraculous intervention is the only possible way. The, the treasure, the pearl of great price, must be obtained. How do you get it? Well, you got to sell everything else. Like put your anything else that you would put your hope in. Uh, has got, got to be pushed to the side in order that you would pursue Christ alone. And then we'd say, and to what end? And, and Jesus says, well, you, you re receive it in order to give it away, in order to give it freely. Uh, Jesus asked his disciples, he, in verse 51, he said, have you understood all these things? And, and they said, yes, we have, uh, which, you know, that was, you know, yes, they did, kind of, but not really. I mean, they're going to continue to grow in their understanding. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Okay, so the, so the love of God, which is at the heart of what the kingdom of God is about, is not a vague, random acceptance. It's new treasure, referring to the teaching of Jesus, the teaching he's giving his disciples, giving us now new, new treasures, as well as old treasures, that which, which he's referring to the Old Testament there. And Jesus here is commissioning his disciples, he's commissioning his followers, that, that they have now become the teachers of the religious law. They have become disciples in the kingdom of heaven. And as followers, they have a, a, a treasure that they're stewarding. We have a treasure that we are stewarding. A treasure that we are responsible to, to give away, to, to care for. Followers of Jesus, distinct from the large crowd, right? Like Jesus could gather a large crowd. Uh, he could gather thousands. But his followers were those who, who, who stepped out of the crowd in order to become responsive to, obedient to, engaged with what Jesus is doing. So, so followers of Jesus, by virtue of who they are, the good soil, the wheat, the, the rising dough, the owners of enormous treasure, we become stewards of these riches, riches that we share. The, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? His response was to bring clarity to who's on my team and who's not. You have been given eyes to see, ears to hear. Uh, you, you've been entrusted now uh, with these deep truths. Back in, in, in verse 11, he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, 
has been given to you. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. You see what's going on here. To whom much is given, much is required. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance, Jesus says. You, friends, good-hearted soil, followers of Jesus, are being commissioned to kingdom fruitfulness. Like, this isn't just about us being saved. It is. It's not just about that. It's then about us joining him on mission in order that our lives would be invested for fruitfulness. How are you investing the treasure that he's given to you? It kind of leads to to kind of this fundamental reality. And it's this. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower. Have any any of you ever thought about what it would be like to be like a super wealthy philanthropist? Right? Like a philanthropist is one who's got, you know, sums of money and gives it away generously. Have you ever thought what that would be like? Like to have millions or billions more than you, uh, you know, know what to do with and you decide, I'm going to do something good with this. And so, you know, it's thousands here and and hundreds of thousands there and millions there as you look for for worthy projects. Philanthropists are those that build hospitals and help build churches and, and, and invest in international projects around the world, humanitarian aid through things like, you know, Samaritan's Purse or... Uh, world vision or passion or YWAM um, wouldn't it be amazing wouldn't it be amazing to just have that kind of wealth to be able to say I can fix that there's a million bucks you know I can I want to make a difference there hundred thousand dollars right there like and Jesus is saying you are wealthy like you are the, the, the you have been given, you have obtained, uh, you are the recipients of uh, enormous, the, the most valuable thing that is known to humanity, that's worth more than everything else. And, and disciples of Jesus give it away. And disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. And then, of course, we know from the breadth of Scripture, that we, and we don't do it single-handedly. Uh, Followers of Jesus are, are, are part of the body of Christ. We, we do it collectively. We do it together. Some are hands, some are our, our feet, some are eyes, ears, nose. It, it's, it, it's why it's, it's almost impossible to live the Christian faith outside of the body of Christ, outside of intimate relationships with other believers uh, like, like we try to nurture here. We need one another in order to live uh, the, 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 the Christian experience um, in the way that God intended it. Together, we become stewards. We become those who are investing this treasure uh, for God. And, and come back and say, okay, well, well, how would we do this? How would we do this? Uh, two simple points as I wrap up. Well, one would be this. One would be this. Obtain the treasure. If you've not said yes to Jesus, that's the starting point. Um, sell everything that has been a God in your life. Like, get rid of it in, in order that you can embrace Jesus. What is it that you look to for your sense of security? Abandon that. What do you value more than anything else in your life? Well, we'll put it into perspective because God said in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. Second commandment, you shall not make an idol or bow down to it. Um, We've talked about this. God's right to be worshipped exclusively and represented accurately. Uh, Obtain the treasure, push those other things out of the way, 
that, that are, are, are calling for your allegiance and put Jesus first, preeminently, centrally in your life. The second kind of what do we do with this would be this. Live like time is precious. The judgment is certain. The end is coming. Certainly at a, at a very personal level. I don't know if I have tomorrow. Neither do you. Neither do those that we most love uh, who, who, who haven't yet said yes to Jesus. Uh, we don't know the day or the hour when, when we will, uh, our life will be in. Um, time is precious. Live like it. And, and, and in the end, I'm not sending you out you know, just to be a, a jerk to your neighbors and you know, alienate everybody because where's God at work? We talked about these things. So do this. Why don't you start with prayer? Start with prayer. Before I talk to my friends about Jesus, I want to talk to Jesus about my friends. Some of you still have the bookmarks. Maybe it's some place where you've got a list of people you're praying for. Um, I see a couple of them shaking my head. No, I don't. Uh, okay, well, we'll get into bulletin again. Who are you praying for? Before I talk to my friends about Jesus, I need to be talking to Jesus about my friends. Um, back in Matthew chapter 9, uh, we read, when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the, who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Pray for your friends. Pray for yourself. Uh, pray that you would be found faithful in this commission. Lord, help me. Help me. I don't know what to do next. I don't, I don't know how to take the next step. If, if this is in stewarding the treasure that you've entrusted to me. Pray. Before I talk to my friends about Jesus, I want to talk to Jesus about my friends. Share a cup. Share a meal. Share your friends. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Build a relationship. Build a relationship and see what God would do in the context of that relationship. Worship team is going to come. Let me invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us as we respond in worship. In the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 14, um, Matthew records Jesus being rejected. Uh, he brings this fantastic teaching. He, he brings this to his hometown, and, and he's spurned. He's ridiculed for it. We, we ask, well, how can that be? Uh, next Sunday, we're going to start a series that we're, we're going to call, I Will Not Be Shaken. I Will Not Be Shaken. We're going to look at, at the example of Jesus as he confronts all kinds of, of rejection and challenges and obstacles. We're going to look at his disciples. As, as they encounter these things, this is the stuff of life. We're going to look at their resolve. Their resolve, I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. I will follow Jesus. And the invitation is this. Would you come and grow with us? Make the good-hearted soil choice to receive the new and old treasures that are, that are being brought forth from our storehouse here in this place. So let Jesus hear us. Hear us as we would respond and worship in song. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be softening hearts, that you would be converting weeds to wheat, and that we would be those who have a deep and wonderful storehouse of treasures to bring forward to those that you place 